Welcome, 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 everyone, to the U.S. Open edition of Swing Thoughts. My name's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Always pleased to be with the uh, mental performance coach of the Glen Abbey Golf Academy. Also, the head coach of the University of Guelph Griffins and a uh, tireless worker in the uh, quest for golf excellence. <laughs> How do you like that? It's Tim O'Connor. Uh, you know, sometimes I get tired, but, you know, I get replenished by talking to you. Hold on one second. I got music going, and, uh, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm actually operating this program. Please go ahead, Tim. I apologize. What did you say, sir? Well, uh, sometimes I'm, I get tired, just like <laughs> anyone else, but talking to you replenishes me. It does. You complete me on Thank these you, mornings. Sir. Well, I appreciate I just, I'm only laughing, because I, I do take... A lot of uh, joy in just uh, how I'm going to introduce you each week. He's a tireless worker, folks. He's uh, he's heading up the struggle. Listen, man, we're all here for the same reason. We hope that we can uh, somehow improve even a little bit of your golf experience. Notice I didn't say your golf game. There's more to it than just your golf swing. That's why we call it Swing Thoughts. It's about the thinking surrounding golf. Uh, we're so proud and pleased to be brought to you by... Taylor made the number one driver in golf. I'm using the M6. Tim's got the M. Are you M5? M5. M5. We're M6. I got an M6. I tell you right now, I have an M6 three wood. Last year I had an M2 or M3. I can't remember. My point is, the other day I hit three wood to sort of uh, on a shorter par four. And you know, every once in a while you'll hit one of these golf clubs and you're like, I think that's going too far. <laughs> so it was one of those ones where I, I, I yeah, hit it yeah, well, yeah. but it just went further than I expected. And I hit it next to uh, the person I was playing with, Driver. And even though he didn't say anything, we both knew that that three wood went as far as his driver. Oh, I'm saying, just, just twist face, okay, Tim? Just saying, just, just saying. saying. That happened to me. Um, just happened, happened to me on uh, Wednesday. Hit a, hit a drive. Said, no, I, I'm going to be okay. Hit a drive. No, hit it too far into the stuff. Um, Hard to be angry when you hit it solid. Have you started, even though we haven't really had much of a spring in it, and we haven't talked a lot about the Adidas wear that we wear, um, it, I, I actually cracked open a pair of shorts a week ago for the first time and this stuff is amazing and today because it's another major uh because uh tailor-made and adidas are so good to us we're going to try and pass on that to you and today we have a dozen uh tp5s times two and let me just get this uh out here tim we're also giving away uh some more um adidas stuff and as soon as I can get it open, I will. Uh, we've got shirts, 360 polos, uh, and shorts, and shoes. Am I not? Is that not sound incredible that we're doing all that? That sounds incredible. Are they, are they the 360 boost? Yeah, man. Those are amazing shoes. They are. Yeah. Um, all right. And uh, our, we have a, an amazing guest. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, as soon as I get to U.S. Open giveaway. Here we go. For some reason, my... Oh, I see what I'm doing. I'm saying, for some reason, my computer won't open, but it's open in front of me. Um, Tim, why don't you talk for a second while I try and find this? Because uh, okay. I think it's well, I think it's um, important we tell people what we're giving away. So exactly. then, and then it we can tell <laughs> then we can tell them how we're giving it away. And I was thinking that silence thing. That it's not so great for radio. They didn't even have something to look at. It's not know, bad but, though. But I'm looking at you. And I'm looking at Mike Marks, who's gonna, who's our our guest today, and um, it's gonna really be fun to talk with uh, Mike about all things 
you know, U.S. Open. We'll touch on some Raptors stuff, and uh, I think Howard's ready to okay. tell us about yeah, good, good. Um Surprise. Yeah, good uh, uh, treading water there for a second. All right, it's the all-new Tour R360 XT, the ultimate uniform, including the famous ultimate 365 bottoms and the new ultimate 365 climate cool polo. So no shoes for you, but a uh, pretty good prize. That's awesome stuff. It is. And as you mentioned, um, our guest today is the uh, also it's a university head coach of the uh, Waterloo uh, Fighting Warriors. Warriors, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the Waterloo Fighting Warriors. What he's, else are Warriors going to do? He's also, um, for many many years, considered one of the finest instructors and coaches of this sport in this country. I say that with no. There's nothing. There's no I'm not being facetious. He nope. is uh, Mike Mertz. Hello, Michael. Look at you, Howard. How are you? Fantastic, sir. Hey, what? I would. I don't get a hello. Come on. Hello, Tim. How are you? You're I'm looking fine. Great. Good to see you, sir. You're looking great. Thank you. Just remember, everyone has feelings, Mike. Um, yes. Like a lot of people, uh, the last time I saw you uh, was on a range somewhere. But it's great to have you back on the show. This is uh, Mike's. Uh, not his first appearance on Swing Thoughts. Um, before we get to golf, uh, even though it's a couple days later when this show airs, uh, we're recording it the morning after the Raps, uh, Raptors have won uh, an historic basketball game. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you guys are around the same age as me. It's been a long time in this city since uh, we won anything. And, and in, in St. Louis winning the Stanley Cup the other night, Tim... You know, now Toronto yeah. is the only team since 1967, since and St. Louis came into, uh, they were an expansion team. That's right. So now the only one left is Toronto that hasn't won the Stanley Cup. But we, but we won something last night. Yes, and don't, don't you think the basketball people will inspire the hockey people? No? It all, it all feeds on itself. That winning thing, it's energizing. I think you, that's a great point. I think for sure that there's a feeling of, wow, we want more of this. Mike, uh, I know you mentioned before we started that you're not much of a basketball fan, but you are a coach in sports. And, and what do you think about all that? Well, I think it was great for the Raptors to win. I mean, uh, I'm more of a double dribbler myself, so I don't really know <laughs> a lot really? about basketball. That's but, uh, the, nice. uh, like, you, like, you know, we talked a little bit off air there about what pressure does in certain situations and how – all of a sudden, when it, it seemingly means something closer to the end of the game, that maybe the skill set starts to fail a little bit. So, um, you know, it was great to watch sort of the ebb and flow of those games where, you know, one team was 10 or 12 points up, and then all of a sudden, four minutes later, the other team was said they. So, the momentum, the, the changes in energy, I always find interesting in sport, whether it's hockey, uh, whether it's basketball, where teams come out charging, and then after the break, they come out and they've lost it, or vice versa. So, um, you know, one thing I find with with dealing with humans is motivation where their motivation comes from and how do you tap into that and how do you ignite it in order to try to get those changes in the games you know basketball has um some things in common with golf in terms of pressure timmy i, I know what you think about when i, I when you we, when you see somebody go to the free throw line all the eyes in the arena everyone watching are on them and uh I know it's interesting. Timmy said you had a Rotella story, but there's a great Rotella story about basketball. Do you know the one I'm talking about? No, no. go for it. 
So he, before Rotella was working with golfers, he was working with athletes, and he was working with this elite basketball player who was a career high percentage field goal thrower, you know, from the floor. And the entire game went by, and he missed every shot that he took. And toward the end of the game, he said to the coach, give me the ball. You know, I want the shot, the last shot of the game. Anyways, the story quickly is he scores the, he scores the basket after Rotella says, I don't understand. You missed all game. Why did you want the ball? And this kid's attitude was, well, the more I missed, the more I thought I was going to sink the next shot. Which Absolutely. Is, which is the opposite of what us golfers think, which is the more we hit poor shots, the more we think we're going to hit poor shots. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody dwells on the negative. You, you could hit two poor shots or, or in 18 holes and you hit 35 good ones, but you dwell on the two that you, you wonder what happened with the two you didn't do well on instead of you know going through the process of what you did with the other 85 that you hit decent, right? So it's, I don't know, I don't know if it's human nature, but I think we always sort of gravitate toward trying to fix that one wrong. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think it, uh, the uh, human nature piece, I, I, uh, catch on to because it's i just we all tend to have this very harsh inner critic and i think largely you know you could connect it to like basically our brains are wired to keep us to to survive so they tend to they tend to go to the negative stuff because you know years ago if you made a mistake you might get eaten <laughs> so <laughs> so i think that's part of it but what i was noticing last night just to come back to that free throw the free <laughs> the thing, you know, when they get the line, they get to make the free basket. Tim, just hold that up your thing. hand. Are you having a stroke? Are you okay? <laughs> yes, I fall exactly. and I can't get up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did someone get I, Tim the clapper? I'm doing a podcast and I cannot talk. That's right. The light just went off. The free throw. When they have that thing. Yeah. What I was thinking about, particularly down the stretch, process 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 that's, that's right just they just lean on their process you just watch them they dribble the ball same amount of time you could put a stopwatch on that process that's the only way they could survive it because if there's any thinking they're done it's almost like they have a, a pre-shot routine absolutely again a great takeaway for golfers t is that you know, and all that pressure with everything on the line, Kawhi Leonard goes to the. You know, think about this. Point so zero point. I don't know if you see how the saw the end, uh, Mike. Zero point nine. Zero point nine seconds left. The game's virtually over, but there's a foul. You can't end the game on a foul against the Raptors. But Kawhi Leonard goes to the line, does the exact same thing he's been doing forever, as you said, Tim. His pre-shot routine is the only way that. Uh, one of the best athletes in the world still has to rely on that. He just can't go up there and shoot it, even though everything was on the line. As you said, it, how could you? How else could you do it? Yeah, it's like we talked about when uh, Tiger Woods at the Masters had, what was that, like 18, 20-inch putt? He had that left to tap in, and Jim Nance goes, I wonder what he's thinking about. And I went, he ain't thinking, man. That's right. <laughs> he's he's in some kind of mindful process, whether it's on his, you know, focusing on his breath, you know, what is feeling in his body or something. Because if you start to think, you're done. But so, Mike, how do you connect these dots? Yeah, I was going to say, the real well, thing there is process, Mike, right? Yeah, and I would think that, you know, what I usually look at is, is being an, an observer of folks, is I usually look at tendency athletes tendencies and when those tendencies vary 
So, you know, in a team sport like basketball or hockey, you look for teams' tendencies and then you try to exploit them. I mean, in our sport, you look for tendency, athletes' tendencies and you try to strengthen them. And I think that even – I was even watching, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when Kepka won uh, – and, you know, he was cruising along and then all of a sudden Dustin Johnson started to catch up with him. And all of a sudden Kepka started to have a little more showing a little more emotion. All of a sudden he was having some some conversations with his caddy about I think he blew an iron over one of the par three greens. Yeah, that's right. And all of a sudden you could see that his demeanor had changed. You know, he was very stoic. And then all of a sudden he was looking for somebody to to agree with him that something went wrong. And then all of a sudden Dustin Johnson crept in on him. So it's interesting to why I always like to watch changes in, in, in tendency changes in process changes in pre-shot routine. Do, do they speed up, slow down or something changes? Cause I mean, as a competitor, when you know, when you're, when your opponents have changed their tendency or their, their tendencies revealed, you've got them. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing I look for. You know, when I watch sport, I look more for that with the athletes. And uh, you know, if I don't know everything about the sport, I still watch and say, okay, all right, this doesn't look good here. Yeah, absolutely. I remember I was at the uh, I was covering the Masters in 1997 as a journalist, and that's when uh, Greg Norman had. I think he started the final round with 96. Uh, yeah, okay. Back then, uh, he had like a 97 what? American though. <laughs> sure, he had a five or six <laughs> shot, lead, five or six shot lead, and his pre-shot routine just got longer and longer. Yeah. And he started to milk the grip and and I went, Wow, this is heading down the wrong way. If I may, you know, Timmy, I don't know if I we I can't remember if this was on the show or off the show because all we do is we the only difference between our conversation on the show is that we hit record. But I remember telling you this a few months ago. I, I like to watch uh, Golf's Greatest Rounds uh, YouTube does this. I, I, it's kind of cool because oh, I like cool. to go and see, like, like this week I watched the 2000 U.S. Open when Tiger won by 15. But I watched that final round, Tim, and I, I remember saying to you, I never, I never remember, because I guess I wasn't paying attention to just how hard he was squeezing the 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 grip and you it was so weird and as mike just said you start to look for those tendencies and i and and they came up mike very early in in that round yeah. for him yeah like that shot he hit i forget what was it on 15 where norman where he he almost hold it yeah. and he almost collapsed to the ground like it was life or death oh yeah exactly he was just he was just i mean he, he probably after that round he probably didn't move for 3 days he was probably so gassed with just grinding yeah. the whole time I mean, you know, it's and in any sport you see it, you see the collapse, you start to see, you know, chinks in armor, and especially in, in golf, some maybe twenty under par for for fit for sixty five holes, and then all of a sudden they think, well, if I just make pars from here, I'm good. Yeah, well, one of the things that I was noticing, we both, uh, I coach the Guelph Griffins, you coach Waterloo, and at the final round for the Canadian University College Championships couple of young guys kind of crept into the lead uh, or close to it and I could tell the guys I, I could predict the guys who would hang in there and who would not and the ones who would hang in it were, were the ones who were just generally could keep their stuff together like Charles you know he just stayed, stayed so cool throughout that and then Sarah Dunning as well process never changed they just don't go up and down in terms of of their emotions they're, they're centered they're grounded and they don't get too high they don't get too low well, I think you just have to realize we're variable machines. And, you know, some of the, the athletes I work with is I just, I say to them, just go ahead and, and hit it. Can you accept what happens to it? Yeah. Go from there. 
Well, that's you do it, that, then you're in good shape. It's funny because uh, Charles and I are buds. Uh, we play a lot of golf together, and 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 we talk golf psychology because that's what he's into, and I'm interested in the subject. And he always says that there's acceptance, and then there's this pre-acceptance because you know you get to a certain level. And you sort of know that there are the vagaries of the game. You know, sometimes shots go awry, but it's the... And, you know, it's one thing to hit a bad shot and go, okay, I'm cool with that. But as he said, are you cool before that happens? Like, can you get up and just hit it with with without anything blocking, physically or mentally? And let's take it down to the 15 handicapper. You know, you're standing over there trying to remember everything you've ever heard about golf instruction when you'd probably be better off just to get up and wail away because the results are going to be varied anyway. But one yeah. gives you a sense of freedom and the other one gives you a sense of being, I don't know, constricted. You know what, Timmy? Yeah. It's like the you're, you're inwardly consuming yourself versus being outward. Yeah, absolutely. The you know, Can you stand over a ball and just be okay with what happens. Right. That's freedom. And that, that translates into how your body feels, how you swing, how your joints release, all that stuff. Because if you're connected at all to the result and you're actually even trying to guide it by trying to do something physically, you slow everything down. You know, um, Mike, what's your experience of that with players who when they're trying to you know, physically do something in their swing versus playing with a sense of freedom? Well, I think they're always going to stall when that's the situation. And, you know, the, the University of Chicago has done a ton of research on that, Diane Baylock. And um, when you start to look at trying to control every movement, basically, in working memory, you just stall. You become whatever level player you are right now, you become five levels below that. Right. So as soon as they try to control what they're doing, and a lot of times it manifests itself a lot more in putting and the short shots because we're moving in the club so slowly that you can try to manipulate it. So when you try to manipulate the club, then you're trying to control every movement of it, and, and you're probably going to stall. So you know, the biggest thing is whether you can distract your working memory and, and execute or whether you can have a process to know that, okay, I understand what's happening with me right now and what's my coping strategy for this that I can just go ahead and kind of free will and hit it. But, you know, I think until confidence is based on evidence, right? Yeah. So until you've actually accomplished something, it's – it's one thing to fire cliches around it yourself and, and think about them, but until you've actually, you know, got to the, the free throw line with the game on the line and made a shot or, you know, made that, that putt to go into a playoff or win a playoff, I mean, it's pretty hard for you to put yourself in that situation contextually without having been there. Just let me just jump in. I'll tell you, I, I came back to tournament golf about seven years ago, but it was three years ago that I finally, I love that word, what you said about evidence. Three years ago, I remember this distinctly. I, I knew I had sort of broken through a barrier of nerves and chaos is uh, on, the la- on the last hole of the second round of the Mid-Am three summers ago, I got up and down for bogey, and that allowed me to make the cut. And that, that gave me the, it was the evidence that I was going to grind to the very end, you know, because prior to that, it had yeah. been like a lot of golfers. If it wasn't going my way, I gave up. But at that moment, I, re- I realized I felt good going home that day because I thought, you know what? Had I given up and just said, oh, it doesn't matter. The point being that you have to have evidence of, bro- of breaking through in situations to draw on. Right. Uh, anyways, Timmy, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say that it's such a delicate balance is that golf, like business, different other things, we measure them. We have tangible numbers to measure our success. But what we have to keep in mind is if we're 
aimed at those numbers if 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 that's what it's all about the result then we we're we're out of the process and we basically stop it so it's being able to play with that kind of that that weird balance of things of being able to do this thing where there's where there's measurement if you will but being allowing ourselves to just to, to free will in the process so mike you work with players of all handicaps and elite players and beginners in your career as you get closer to the green and it's interesting you said that it's when people's you know wiring can go haywire we all know people that have chipping yips and putting yips so maybe you can pass on you know some of some of the strategies if somebody listening is like yeah man i can't pitch a ball 30 yards onto a green but i seem to be hitting my driver okay what are yeah. some of the cope we'll call them you know coping methodology or coping strategies I see tons of that. I mean, I see tons of people that can, you know, once they pull the trigger on a full swing, because once you sort of set the full swing in motion, it's in motion. I mean, it's going 80 miles, 90 miles an hour. You're not stopping that. But once you get, I see so many people that chip and it's really, it looks like they have a serpent in their hands. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's electric. Um, but like I said, you, you draw back to trying to get them out of their, out of their mindset of trying to control the blade, control the ball, hit the ball. Um, and can you even do things where, I mean, you disrupt working memory, you have them do math in their head backwards, have them hum a song, you know, maybe hum their favorite song, have them completely change technique. I mean, Bernard Longers and VJ have reinvented themselves how many times around the green. I think last time I saw VJ was cross-handed chipping. That's right. So, it was. You know, a lot of times it's, it's completely changing technique. Uh, you know, even for putter yippers, maybe if they're putting right handed, have them putt left handed. Um, you know, so really try to get them out of that that mindset of this dwelling on the negativity of the way they're doing it right now and see if you can alter that technique somehow and maybe make it complete change it completely and see if all of a sudden technique changes for them it's such a dichotomy for golfers it's so hard for them to grasp i think particularly male golfers who want to control everything in their life and the idea that they're going to take a swing and not try and do something like i'm going to shift my weight i'm going to turn my hips that's so foreign to them because the usual mindset and we howard and i talk about all the time this paradigm this golf cultural paradigm is that i always go to the range and i'm going to work on this this and this and then to try and go onto the golf course or what you were just talking about in essence distracting ourselves from trying to control that's so foreign to people in terms of trying to just let it go and as, as you say, distract yourself from trying to do something right and actually be in a place of freedom to allow it to happen. It's very just, Eastern philosophical. Yes. Well, you know, well, maybe, that's, uh, there's maybe also, that's a good jumping off point. But right there's there. also the uh, thing with male golfers. I don't know about, I, and I'm sure it's female golfers as well, but golfers in general, it's like, what's the shot I should hit versus what's the shot I can hit? Because, yeah. you know, a lot of, I, I see a lot of guys not a lot, but a few of the people I play with, you know, they've got a, a, a tight pin over a bunker and they're trying to hit a flop shot off a tight lie because they think that's the, the shot they are supposed to hit. When really right. the shot yeah. they should hit is the one they can hit, which is maybe a pitching wedge back in their stance away from the bunker, get it on the green. Right. You know, right. but, it's, it, you, but you tell that to some people and they look at you like, like you're speaking a different language. But all, you're, all right. that does is get them to their goal of lower scores. Yeah. But Tiger did that. I, I watched a little of the Open yesterday, and Tiger did that on the five par in the back nine. He, he, I mean, he 
half bladed it over the green and yeah. then he really didn't have a shot at the pin and he played about 25 feet right of the hole and then made it for par but you know they said if he would have played actually at the pin and tried to tried to hole it and he misses it runs off the front of the green so i mean you know the best player that's ever played arguably um looked at chances are i'm not going to make this what's my best next option and and, and i not only is that a great story a, a perfect example of that but think about he still tried very hard on that long putt and it happened to go in Whereas a lot of yeah. us go, oh, I've blown my chances. And then we just, we sort of gag it up on that putt and, and it doesn't go in. And we're like, see, I suck. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Mike, we're going to have to, this has never happened. We're going to have to hold Mike over through a break. This is just like that, a real radio show now. That means like we we're having, that means we're having fun, Mike, when we do the, the holdovers. It's <laughs> never happened. We're going to keep talking. Well, because we, we, I want to get to a couple more things and then we got to get to our giveaway. It is, um, it's uh, Swing Thoughts. Uh, the TSN radio show here in Hamilton. Great to be with you. And, of course, you can download the program on iTunes. We'll come back and tell you how you can win some cool Adidas stuff and a dozen TP5s from TaylorMade. Sound of the river, you stop and you hold everything. A band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. Great to be with you on a uh, weekend. U.S. Open is underway, and the uh, golf season is kind of in full swing here now that the Raptors have won the NBA championships, and uh, we've kind of got some decent weather. Tim O'Connor's here along with myself, Humble Howard, from the Humble and Fred Show. Tim, our guest today, uh, legendary instructor uh, Mike Martz uh, is here, and, and our very first guest we've ever held over through a break. It seems like so grown up. History, the Raptors win, and <laughs> we're right. holding a guest over to the second half. That's yeah. right. There you go. Um, I have a comb over, but not a holdover. Brought to you by <laughs> well done by a TaylorMade, <laughs> number one driver in golf, and Adidas. By the time this show's over, somebody's going to get themselves uh, an opportunity, three of them actually, to win some great stuff. Uh, we're going to be uh, asking you a, a very, very skill-testing question. Uh, we'll ask you on this show. We'll also put it up on our Facebook page, Swing Thoughts. Please go there and like it because it'll make us feel good. Uh, all right, Timmy, we were uh, talking about uh, this great game that we love. And uh, give us some context for this story you're going to tell. Yeah, well, part of the I was reminded about, you know, hey, we should get Marzi back on the show because of a chat we had at the Canadian University Championships. And and just a few minutes ago, we were even talking about, you know, how do golfers do this thing where they can let go of their need to control desires and focus on outcome and allow freedom to happen? And you were relating at the University Championships to me an anecdote of uh, – you had a chat with Bob Rotella, and he wasn't all that fond of what you were saying. So, so give us some context for that piece. I got to watch what I say in front of you, huh? <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, yeah. J- journalist, a uh, trained as a journalist, yeah. man. You can't get anywhere. He's like it's like being around Woodward and Bernstein all the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I was at a I was at a seminar years and years and years ago that the PGA held, and Bob Rotella was the guest speaker, and he went through uh, you know a little bit the, uh, before break and. 
And usually when I go to a seminar, nobody wants to sit beside me because I ask questions and, you know, the tough questions and nobody wants to have any limelight on them. So I said to, to, to Bob at the break, I came up and I talked about what he was saying. And I said, I said, you know, you haven't reinvented anything. All you've done is move bones from one graveyard to another. And oh. he said, yeah, maybe that's true. And I think that's what Tim and I were, you know, talking about a couple of weeks ago at the championships is that, uh, you know, a lot of sports psychology now, I mean, whether it's drawn on Eastern philosophies or whatever basically background has come from, is that we can put any, we can put a blank and put golf, we could put basketball, we could put hockey, doesn't matter what sport you put in it, you can just utilize that information in terms of how to, how the mental approach with athletes works. And, you know, and that's what I think a lot. And, and that's what I really, I hate watching athletes get interviewed because it's just one cliche after another. And you think, okay, uh, are you actually living that? Or is that just, you know, we got to get into the tough areas and we've got to, you know, chip in and do stuff like that. So sometimes I don't know if people actually, if they have their own thinking process or if they're just spitting out stuff that they've been, they've been taught and do they live it? I think for a lot of athletes, um, I think a lot of them do live it because of I don't know how they would function otherwise. Because if you're so if you're self-identify with where you're at in terms of you know whether you you win a game, you know whether you're top of the money list, whether you make the cut, whatever. Um, that there's just too much emotional volatility there. I remember when um, gosh who was it Bernier the uh, he was the goalie for the Leafs and. Um, he had not won a game for months and months and Scott Oak's asking him about this and he's doing the typical media thing. It's not to put down Scott Oak, but he's, he's trying to get into the drama of it. How do you keep, because Bernie finally won a game and Oak is going, how do you keep this going? And, and Oak and, and Bernie says, I'm going to just focus on my process. I'm just going to keep doing what I need to do, work on the little things in my game. So he's not buying into this human drama. That's where the media want to go. Cause it's interesting. You know that's that's what we cling on to but this ability to to let go and just be okay with it it still stings when you lose as an athlete I don't care who you are but you will not succeed if you're living and dying with every shot let's talk a little no, bit about mikey let's i want to just before we let you go and talk about because you you're not only a fine teacher but you're also a student of the mental side you're a student of sport in general and uh and a pretty decent guy, from what I can tell. Um, Friend of Mo Norman. So my question is this, because I had an example of a friend of ours that Tim and I know, who's a very fine player. Uh, I played with him recently, and he, he's a good golfer, and he was just hitting everything horribly. And he was you could see he was upset, and you could see that you know things were just not going right in his golf world. And I said to him, when it comes to good players, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this, it's always little things. You know, the ball position. In his case, it was he was hitting driver off his back leg. It, was, it looked insane. He was blocking everything. So I said to him, think about it logically. You didn't all of a sudden forget how to hit a golf ball. You just sometimes subtle movements in where the ball is and you're aiming can really, you know, mess you up. And so my question is, how much of bad play can be attributed to just some technical issues and then how much of that spins into the mental side? Because in this particular case, I helped him move his ball back where a driver should be, and he hit it great. So all of a sudden, life yeah. is great. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge factor. A lot of times, uh, you know, I have some players playing NCAA golf, and they'll, they'll either text me or email me in the middle of a tournament and say, you know, what's, what's going wrong? I'm, I'm terrible today. 
Um, but the more you, you start to look at like the, just the metrics of playing using TrackMan or whatever you happen to use, that even if just subtle changes in ball position change are hugely change where the ball's launched. So uh, quite often I lead in with those players and say, well, did you have a stroke yet between yesterday and today? And they'll say no. <laughs> That's right. Say, well, you didn't forget your skill, your skill set's still there. So, but a lot of times it is just very subtle little things like that. And all of a sudden the ball is launched offline. And then, you know, I know your, your pal Fred Shoemaker would say every uh, golfer is only two bad shots away from insanity. So as soon as they hit a couple bad shots, then again, it's like, oh, what am I doing? And usually everybody I talk to, every shot they're making is a compensation for the previous miss. Right. So then they just get into compensation mode other, other than, like Tim said, go through process. If you have a valid process, you have to stick to that. So if you've got decent results in the past, you know your process must be valid. But if you're in continual compensation mode, missing right, missing left, missing right, missing left, you're, I mean, you're lost in this game. So, Mike, what would you suggest to the 15 handicapper or anyone who finds himself in mid-round and just, oh, my gosh, I just can't hit this. You know, I, I just can't hit the planet. Would you say you, there's kind of two ways to go? One is you could go the PGA route, which is check your posture, your grip, your alignment, which could include ball position. Would you suggest doing that, or would be another way to just to go back to a club? So maybe it's not driver three, maybe even just a five iron, something where you feel comfortable to be able to hit a shot. Which is it a combination of those two techniques, or what would you suggest? I would suggest option B. Take the most lofty club you can hit aggressively and keep the ball between the tree line, and then limp around. And, oh, you're saying and dur- if you're really worried about your game during a Sorry. round of golf, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, a PGA Tour player, if they came and all of a sudden their ball flight wasn't on today, they wouldn't be trying really to fix it on the golf course. They, If they were fading instead of drawing it today, they'd fade it and then worry about it after. Um, but as soon, again, as soon as you start to, the average player starts to logically solve the game of golf, it's usually like I call this the summer of George in Seinfeld, is whatever you think is probably the exact opposite. So <laughs> That's so great. Do the opposite. But I just right? want to ask, Timmy, were you asking Mike about what a person should do mid-round or what a person yeah. should do... Mid round, okay. Yeah, you know, that time, and and that's the, that's actually the advice I gave to my to my client when it was. It says, just hit whatever you can, you think you can hit, and you feel comfortable. You just stand over the ball and went, okay, I <laughs> I think I can do this. I got to tell you well, guys, go ahead, uh, Mike. And that's that, I mean, as university coaches, team coaches with Tim and I, I mean, you see players that are just you've got five, you got to count four scores, and you see one player that started well, and then he's failing. And then you see another guy gassing, and you've got to go out and you can't find the plan in it. You just got to say, okay, all right, let's take a club where we can keep it in play because you've got to count. You've got to grind, right? So same situation. I mean, everybody's hitting these two irons now. Everybody shied away from them. Now everybody's hitting two irons. But yeah, hit that two iron, hit it in play, and just do the best you can rather than you know try to pull off the, the great shot. Well, this isn't the guy that I'm talking about, Tim, but another guy I played with Wednesday night at our men's night, who's a great guy, but he can't find the planet uh, with the ray gun. And I said to him halfway through, because we were looking for balls every hole, and he's yeah. left-handed, hitting it left and right, and he, he's strong, so it goes way offline. It's like fairways away, and I'm an old man. I, I was getting tired. I'm like, is this guy? and finally, about the 13th hole, I, I said, you, you, you go get it, bud. I'm done. I just walked to my ball. But I suggested to him mid-round, I said, what are your goals? Do you want to score lower today, or do you want to show me how far you can hit your driver? Because I said, I've seen how far you can hit your driver, but could your 7-iron hit that fairway? Yeah. Because yeah, I- he made – he's a 
decentish player made two pars in eighteen holes. Like it was, it was yeah. crazy. And sometimes that's the only thing you can do. So in the uh, Guelf Griffins tryouts a couple of years ago, uh, hole number twelve at Cutton Fields, there's a house. <laughs> to, to the left of the tee, kid hits it, hits the house. So that's on the left. So of course you know the next shot. Oh yeah, right into the river. Next shot, right into the river. There's about ten people. This kid is shaken. He's just quaking in his boots and the panic. And I just walked up to him. I just said, "Dude, just look at me." And I said, "What club in this bag do you think you can you can hit and hit it down there in that green stuff?" And he pulls out, I think it was a seven iron or something, but that was the only thing that would save him right there. So just to finish, Mike, thank you very much for uh, being on the show. Uh, if people uh, would like to work with you, is that even possible anymore? Or are you just too, are you like booked up until 2021? Uh, how does that work? I'm just like cats. I'm just like cats, you know, booked up forever. No, no, no. I <laughs> no you mean, oh, you mean the play. The play. Oh, Memories. Come on, stay with You're me, Howard. Bo- I'm with- sorry. What, I'm like, what is he talking? Like cats? I'm trying hard here. Is he I could say myself fairly aculturated, like, but what I What's going it. on here? He's doing theater references. It's all in delivery, I guess, right? It's it all is. in delivery. Got, I forget that you're funny. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, you no, could- I, I'm certainly I'm, I'm I've got 48 hours a day. I got nothing but space and time and you know well, lots I, to get. I know that uh, I enjoyed our time together. We uh, hit balls one day and. Uh, I'd love to do that again. Tim, uh, any last words for Mr. Uh, Mertz before we let him go? Um, yeah, it's just it's fun to reconnect with Mike because uh, we both have uh, a connection to Mo Norman. Uh, Mike, I wrote Mo's biography. Mike was uh, uh, one of Mo's closest friends, and uh, Mike really helped me see a side of Mo that I hadn't really grasped that clearly, and that was the sound of me sort of weird is Mo had a spiritual side and Mike you really helped me see that part of Mo and how he really just the act of hitting a golf ball was such a a spiritual experience for him as opposed to you know being the best ball striker in the world I don't know just real quick what what are your thoughts on Mo and that side of him well that was you know I truly believe that Mo was a Zen master maybe in a previous life for me Um, but that was it it was it was spiritual for him when he hit the ball the rest of the world melted away whether they're, you know, whether that was, you know, the picture from the national with with Price and Faldo and Couples and Cranshaw watching him, even when he was hitting that ball, I'm sure he never even knew they were there. As soon as he connected with that golf ball, it was just that we was in a, we went into a different zone, and that was it for him, right? And it was just there was nothing better than that. And um, but he did make me aware that one time I was playing with him and I hold a shot and I said, Mo, did you see that? And he said, Don't ever think it's anything more than a golf shot to me. That was what he said. So. Um, you know, but it was just awesome to watch him even after surgery when he was really weak and started to hit balls and, and it almost brought life back into his old body as soon as he started to feel that driver off the face, you know. So it was it was really great to watch him for twenty years swat it. You know, we, we talked earlier about being blocked or being, you know, restricted, inwardly focused. When when I watch Mo and uh I, I won't I won't Insulate myself into that story, but that day at the national, I introduced Mo. I was hosting. The, yeah, I was, I was hosting the pro am that day, and in fact, at the national on Monday, I was telling the story about how I looked at the call sheet because I was working for the same company as those four players, and I went, "Okay, uh, today I have to do this." And oh, I see the players are released for the afternoon. They didn't have to be there after after the pro am, so I go out and introduce Mo, and then I 
go to watch the clinic, and then I see one by one all four of those guys filing around the side of the bleachers, and the guy whose eyes were the widest was Nick Faldo. He never took his well, eyes off him. Well, the ultimate perfectionist saw it probably it yeah. done, done maybe as good or better than he could do it. Faldo, it was almost like he was, it was like a, a watching Einstein for a scientist. Yeah. Um, but, but Mo Norman never looked like he was interrupted by anything. There was a, a flow of motion that I think we can all learn a little bit from. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he, he, once he, he knew what he did. He drew the club, looked at the distance, sidled up to it, spread his legs, and smashed it. I mean, that was it, right? There was just, I mean, he, he but his, his move was so internalized that, I mean, it was like you and I breathing. So, I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, that was simple, but it was simple for him to reproduce, and it was awesome to watch. Uh, always great talking to you, sir. All the best. Thanks, guys. Mike Take Martz, care, Mike. everybody. Mike and Mike, University of uh, Waterloo coach and a great guy to work with. He would be uh, happy to have you uh, come visit him. Uh, go check him out. Uh, Google him. Uh, remember I said there would be this awkward moment where you weren't sure if you were supposed to go? That's this I'm moment. Gone. Yeah, this moment now. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to win um, a... Uh, these TP5 golf balls are insane. They, they go so far. Uh, we've got a, a dozen of those times two, so a couple of dozen of those. So we'll give away two of those for people. And then, as we mentioned, we're giving away some great Adidas uh, wear, the all-new Tour 360 XT and the Ultimate Uniform. I think the 360 XT is the shoes. Do you not think that? Uh, you put me on the spot. It's well, just not coming to me right now. But I just love when you're doing this because I, I look at you at Zoom and your eyes go all white because you're looking at your laptop. <laughs> the reflection off your glasses. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, the uh, three <laughs> the 360 XTs are shoes, Howard. Uh, you also get the Ultimate Uniform, our famous Ultimate 365 bottom, and the all-new Ultimate 365 and Climacool polos. And all you have to know is the answer to this question. Who won the NBA Finals? But the answer's got to be Raps in Six. Okay? Raps in Six. Uh, go to our Facebook page to enter today, and uh, we'll announce our winner uh, in the next week or so. I love that. So congruent with being, you know, Toronto's in the Six. Yeah. Know, as, as the young people of today say, six. you know. But I also love the fact that, uh, you know, as a as a podcast, we're rated as professional. Well, sometimes we're semi-professional. Yeah, that was a mistake. I don't know. Well, we should uh, leave you. We should figure that out. Uh, speaking of young people, I saw this morning as I woke up after. I got to sleep really late last night, and I look at my phone, and my daughter, who's 21, is in the middle of the city last night with all her friends and her boyfriend. And I thought, you know what? Good for oh, you. man. That'd be so much fun. You know, what a great memory. You know, you're 21 yeah. years old. You got to celebrate, you know, a, a, a big win for your city. You know, she and I went to visit her sister a couple weeks ago in New York. And uh, I was surprised because I didn't realize, you know, Spencer's become a basketball fan because her boyfriend is. But she said to me on Sunday night when we were in New York, she's like, where are we going to watch the game? I'm like, who are you? 
I mean, where, I wanted to watch it, but I didn't think I was going to get a chance to. But like, there, there was her and I in this little dingy bar in Brooklyn watching the game on one screen. And the uh, it was so New York because on one screen was the basketball, on the other one was Boston and New York at uh, Yankee Stadium. So it was kind of cool. That's perfect. Watching in a dingy bar—that's absolutely dead on, man. So let, let's talk a little bit of uh, mental performance coaching. I want to get back to something we talked quickly about with Mike, which is when you're taught, and, and Tim works with a lot of varied handicapped players. So let's let's talk about the notion for the higher handicapped golfers. We, you know, have a, a maybe a little takeaway this week, which is if you're faced with a shot like Tiger had, maybe you look at what Tiger did, which is find a place on the green that isn't the tight lie over the bunker to the impossible green or uh, a pin with the green working away from you. Let's talk a little bit about the discipline it takes to do that and how maybe if, if you're in the mode of process, you're open to those kind of things. If you're in the mode of outcome and ego, you're like, oh, well, I don't want to hit away from this bunker because I mean, what will people think of me? There's that part that so it always comes down to awareness. What's going on for you physically, uh, mentally, uh, even it sounds weird spiritually. I mean, if you're thinking that that oh the guys are going to judge me for being like a coward for not trying this, um, you know how does how does being worried about being judged how does that how does that serve you in golf and in life? You, know, you got to do what you know you want to do for gosh sakes. Um, but it's having that awareness of what am I doing here? Am I trying to hit a shot uh, that you know my body really says I I don't have. And, and that's and the reason I say body is that a lot of people don't they're so caught up in their heads and thinking that they're disconnected from their body your body will tell you whether you have that shot or whether you can do it by the discomfort you may feel if you're standing over it and you you know you're, you're taking practice swing after practice swing milk on the grip feet you can't then your body's saying abort abort mission <laughs> you know reevaluate this and so it's it's really being what's the most important thing when we do in any kind of a relationship, and that is listen. So listen to your body; it'll tell you what to do. You know that's so great. You said you know most people are so caught up in golf above their neck when really golf's kind of it shows up in your body in so many subtle ways. And you know this is where I would totally agree with you. If you're willing to listen to what's going on, then you can evaluate the situation. I was going to say more maturely, but certainly more in the moment, in a more zen-like way, which is it doesn't matter. See, to me, my goal is to score as low as I can. And if that means a, bo a double bogey, I always think, okay, what is the best I can do from this situation? Uh, I saw this online this week. I wanted to run this phrase by you. I think somebody on a telecast said, you don't need to follow a bad shot with a great shot. You just need to follow a bad shot with a decent shot. Yep. Where so many of us are caught up in the ego of the moment, we've made a mistake, our ball's in trouble, and we try and hit some hero shot to, to instantly make up for it. But the game demands that you... You know, that Tiger is a great example. Best player in the world. He and Jack Nicholas. And I guarantee you, Nicholas would have done the same thing. 
Yeah, we, we talked about it in the Masters too. Um, you know, Jack always on number twelve, that little green that runs away from you. Always, you know, if that you have the Sunday pin on the right, he's like center left. All right, that's where Tiger was after four went in the water. Where did Tiger right. put it? Tiger on fifteen that final round, center right. You know, he left himself what a fifty foot putt for for eagle. Toodles it down there for a four. It's it's being really smart about it, but the smart piece is is being able again to to listen to what's going on, you know, in your body, in your comfort level. If you are standing over a shot and you and you just kind of like, it's just not happening for you in terms of the feeling. Where am I going to land this? How am I going to swing this? Your body's just saying, dude, you don't have this shot, and no amount of of thinking positively taking a practice swing because in the moment when you have to surrender to the shot and what i mean is allowing your your body just to do this thing um it, it won't do it because you don't the connect to what mike said you don't have the evidence and we're not talking about a cognitive thinking process the evidence is in your body your subconscious right and and if you're uncomfortable it ain't going to happen. And, and, and evidence is built through experience and on and on and on. You know, I had a really, on, on uh, Wednesday, I had a, a really difficult, I'm describing the shot, basically a, a kind of a full swing flop over a bunker to a near pin. But I'm telling you, I've practiced that shot. And when I got to that ball, I said, you've, that's why I said to myself, okay, I actually said, we've got this shot. You just have to be courageous enough to, to swing it. But I knew I could do it, and I and I all I the only pep talk I gave pep talk I gave myself was allow yourself to do it. Don't like don't get in yeah. the way of like like because you know my first thought was well, okay maybe I and I said screw it. No, I've practiced this recently. Let's give it a shot. And so I, I made myself make a bold swing. Like when I got over the ball, I'm like forget thinking now. I'm just yeah. going to do this. And it was fine because, I'll, and I can tell you, if I didn't think that way and I was like, uh, I'm not sure, then yep. then I shouldn't have done it. Um, like we're going to yeah, wrap, I, we got to wrap no, up I, here. I, Hold on. We have to wrap up on our uh, on our broadcast, but we invite you to join the conversation with Mr. O'Connor and myself uh, on our podcast extra. So we're going to leave uh, TSN. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, Raps in Six is the number. Uh, I'm sorry, the answer. Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Anything else we should know? That you have a very funny show called Humble and Fred. Humble and, and Fred Show. If you want more mirth and lightness in your in your day. Uh, yes. Uh, Humble and Fred, of course, on Hamilton's uh, Comedy Superstation, Funny 820, and at HumbleandFredRadio.com. More with Tim O'Connor, the mental performance coach of uh, the Glen Abbey Golf Academy, and I when we uh, continue on Swing Thoughts. Go check us out on uh, iTunes. We'll see you next week. Shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park. Meantime, sound of the river, you stop and you hold everything. A band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. You feel alright when you all right, podcast people, we're back. It's uh, we're going to continue. What were you going to say? I, I had to cut you off there. I'm sorry. Hey, no worries. Oh, one of the cool things that you mentioned there is that you had this shot that you might face what one every three or four rounds, even, you know, you don't even exactly. Yeah. But you've practiced that shot, 
And and one of the key things, uh, boys and girls, as uh, Don Cherry would say, is um, you got to practice shots. Never here's here's a guideline. Uh, always carry a litter bag in your car. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, always no. have a litter bag. Yeah, yeah. Because when it gets full, you can just throw it out the window. Thank That's you, right. Steve Martin. All right. Hello. No. Never hit a shot you've never practiced. That's right. That is a that is that's as close to an iron rule as you'll ever get on this show. But Timmy, it goes to what but I what said. You, I was going to say no, you, what, you were practicing. The show. You, you had evidence for that. You had yes. evidence for that. I do. You know, and so you know, on a cognitive level, subconscious level, you have this shot, and it's like your body goes, okay, let's run program. We've that's done right. this. And you know, one of the things that I do, uh, there's at Blue Springs. Behind the there's kind of this upper range and there's this little green there. I just love it. Yeah. And I conclude every little short game practice I have by putting the ball on a downhill slope. I take my fifty eight degree wedge and I hit about twenty shots. Just these little floppers. And so when I you know, and so when I get on the course, I can pull off that shot. Because I've seen myself do it. And it's all about just the feel and repeating the these types of shots. I think what I was going to say, though, is that it's it, the the rule is kind of back to what I said during the show. Is is that is it the shot you think you should hit because you saw it on TV, or the shot you can hit? Because the shot you can hit, if you're a ten or fifteen or listen, even a low handicap, like not not everyone, you know, has the same level of short game, whatever acumen. You know, like, and it changes day to day. I mean, like, there are certain days, like this week, I, again, I played some good tournament golf. In one round at the National on Monday, I got up and down a bunch of times. On In the next day, the first nine or ten holes, I got up and down no times. And so I'm right. sitting there going, well, I'm the same guy, but just your body feels a little bit different. I, I didn't have the same lies. I, whatever it was, it's not like I forgot how, it just I didn't feel the same. And, then, yeah, and, and it's like you were saying, it's the shot you can hit. And so the question a lot of people goes, how do I know? How do I know I can hit this shot? And it, it's, it, I think it's one of the things you can do is particularly in the middle of a round, it's not going so well, is you just take, take a practice swing with a – say it's with your driver. Let's say you're struggling with your driver. You take a few swings with that and just feel like how how much freedom do I have in that? What's my timing like? Is there rhythm? And then if it doesn't feel good, maybe go down to a hybrid, maybe right. even to to a five iron and compare the feeling. And it's in that feeling that you'll get the answer to whether you can hit the shot. There's a famous Jack Nicholas story. I just reminded me again. He was playing some tournament and the first two or three holes. He, because he was a fader of his driver, he pulled his drive slightly. Uh, I think he almost hit one out of bounds. Never touched his driver again for the rest of the round. Right. Um, you know, we've talked about this. That, and I happen to. You know, it's funny. The last couple of years, I've not been driving it very well. I'm, I'm a pretty good iron player, and but this this season, I've kind of caught on to something, and I'm driving it better than I have in a long time. Yet still on Monday at the National, there I was playing with a couple guys, one guy who hadn't played the course before, and we got to par five, and I teed off with my hybrid. And he said, why are you hitting, why aren't you hitting your driver? Because I was hitting it good. I said, because on this, it's the fourth hole at the National, if you know it, but it's a narrow landing area. And I said, because on this hole, I know from experience that a, a bad hybrid 
is a better than a bad drive. And I happened to hit it really well, and it set up the hole and blah, blah, blah. But I just knew that if I made a mistake with that, I'd still be in play. When you make a mistake with bigger clubs, like you said to your kid there in that tournament, what's the club that you know you can hit the fairway with? Yeah, so one of the things I love about tournaments is that they're they're like little microcosm case studies of life and how we deal with things. And so as a coach of the University of Guelph Griffins, um, my captain is, it was, he's graduated now, but Nick Stryker. Nick is a fine player. He shot like a 61 last year. Nick Stryker is his name? Yeah. How's how, that? Is he not a, how is he not a Marvel character? I know who he should call. <laughs> Nick Stryker will know what to do. Exactly. So what about so, Nick? Well, you know, he's a fine player. Like I said, a plus handicap, shoots a 61 last year. Well, he comes to the University Championships, and um, he shoots a smooth 84. He can't find the planet with his driver. So what does he do for rounds two and three? He hits nothing but four iron off the tee. Didn't matter whether it was a 452 par par four, four iron. And he started to get back into things, and he started to find his mojo with his driver again. Final round, 69. Yeah. He just waited and worked it out, and what can I hit here? I can find the planet with my forearm while I'm figuring out my driver, you know, post-round. In that. And once he had it, he, he's back to his – and it happens to really good players. They can shoot what appears to be dumb, embarrassing numbers. But, you know, Nick had the presence of mind, I'll work this out, and when it's back, I'll put the take the driver out of the penalty box and start hitting it again. You know, there's a famous uh, quote from Tom Watson. I know if you know this, I'm curious. You probably heard it. I, I'm going to butcher it because I, I don't. I never remember it correctly. But the sentiment is this: Watson said something like, "You know, you know about you know golf is a game where you know you you never." You never own it; you just rent it. But the yeah. idea is to is to it'll always come back. He said, "It always comes back." You just have to be, you have to wait for it in a, in a you have to wait for it patiently. Again, that, that's the sentiment that you know. It, it it's like a, a good player that we both know. He was struggling with his driver. You know, I didn't say this to Mike, but I, I was helping him a little bit a couple of days ago because I, I I couldn't believe. You know, he's a very fine player. And here's what I did. I said, I think I can help you in, in, in 15 balls, 14 balls. So I took out seven balls, and he took out his driver. I said, no, 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 not your driver. I said, Give me, get your six iron, and let's hit seven six irons off a high tee because he was hitting down with his driver. I said, all I want you to do is hit this as high as you can and out to the left because he's a left-hander. Hit seven of those, just perfect. Then I said, let's get your driver, just make the same feel. And he started to hit it hit it nicely again to your point about your captain sometimes you have to go back get your feel your mojo and then as opposed to what most people would do is just hit driver after driver after driver until they couldn't couldn't swing anymore because it to try and find where it went yeah by that point they're just this sweaty mass of you know, of exasperation yeah. and blisters from gr- holding it sore, you have no chance. No, nope. you know you what you and I talk about this. You watch guys go to the go to the range, and and the ball starts to go a little off. Nick, you know, you come back twenty minutes later, they're a sweaty mess. They're there, they're, they're crying. Like, <laughs> there's three, yeah, there's three empty baskets there, and they're worse than when they arrived. That's right, because they just go to this place and. Um, you can't force golf. You can't fix it. I mean, I remember what George Durante said 
uh, on our show about five or six shows ago. He says, you cannot negotiate the physics of golf while doing it. That's right. You just cannot. So what we're talking about here to some degree is 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 patience. You can't force golf. You you can't find a you can't find the solution right away. Sometimes the solution kind of has to find you and it comes often in a place of surrender. And That's what I right. mean by that is just just being to take a swing, feel what happened and be in the experience of it. And and um, I kind of lost my thread there a bit, but one of the things that, uh, yes, Fred Shoemaker would say is that when you're trying, when you are in that that time of technical, you know, change, you need to do something technically. Slow your swing down. Mm-hmm. Hit, you know, if you're going to hit one shot on the range, hit hit have ten practice swings. Put the ball on a tee, like you were talking about there. That's perfect. You've got to take yourself out of this. Well, it's it's got to ha- gotta have it results oriented thing and be in the experience and give yourself a chance to feel it and learn. It's a great marketing term, uh, Barry. It's the marketing term of the day. It's called disruption, and right. and what you can imagine what it means. But in golf, sometimes we have to disrupt our wiring. Sometimes we have to do what Mo did: tee off with a wedge and then hit driver for your second shot. Sometimes yeah. you maybe go to the golf course and only hit, th- take three clubs. Go to the golf course and play a different game. Do something other than trying to grind yourself into fine dust to uh, to try and, as you say, you can't negotiate with golf while you're trying to play the game. Uh, dude, I got to go get uh, uh, some more shockwave therapy on my shoulder. Uh, we'll be, uh, I guess, back next week. Um, and you're a good man. Uh, let me yeah, do, I, do I have music here fun. at the end? I don't even know if I should play more music. I guess I could play something here. Let me see. Oh, I like I like that song. It's it's, it's a nice song. Um, great to have Marcy back on this show. Um, the guy, he's... Uh, he has all the elements of what a good coach has and that's like he's got this amazing technical acumen uh it was interesting sarah he coaches sarah dunning who won the national championship she had two occasions where she hit these irons and they flew the green and he said when you hit off off wet the ball goes farther and i was like yeah you're right so (laughs) good coach he is a good coach so are you listen kids we'll see you all next week take care thanks timmy Bye bye. I gotta go. Bye. Maybe I should.